Welcome to the Anthropology and Business Podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We will discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. All right. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, Matt Arts, and I'm today with Brooke Gibbs. Brooke is an applied anthropologist uh, from UNT, same place I went, and the co-founder of Artifact. Uh, previously at Procter and Gamble for, I believe, 11 years and a journalism background. So, I mean, I know I just covered a little bit of that, but maybe you want to give us like a, maybe tell us a little bit about why, actually like me, why did you choose to go back for an anthropology degree when you started somewhere else? And, you know, what made, maybe made you do that and how has that led to say Artifact? Yeah. Thank you, first of all, for having me. Um, sure. One of the things that has really guided my life, even from, you know, being in school has been a real interest for other people, other people that don't look, act, whatever, like me. Um, and people who, I don't know. I was always one of those people where it's like the person in the corner by themselves. I want to go over there and talk to that, that person and make sure they're okay. And then bring them into the fold. That's always, um, been who I am. And so when I, from a journalism standpoint, you know, like, as you said, it was like, that was like where my, my bachelor's degree was in. And that was because I also like to, to be a storyteller. I want to hear people's stories, but then also share the stories. And so that's where that came from. But once I was in school getting my bachelor's, I started to get into some anthropology classes and was like, oh, this is an even better fit. Um, with who I am, what I like, um, all those things. So I continued on the path I was on, which was I was getting my degree in journalism, but at the same time, uh, I had an internship with at PNG doing market research, which was also a whole third thing, right? But decided to go that route because PNG was a stable company. Um, it had good benefits. I was fresh out of uh, out of um, college. So I decided to go that route, but I, anthropology was always in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. always. Like even the first year I was going to quit PNG and go back to school full time to get my PhD in anthropology. I, it's not that I decided not to do that. Actually, the world, God, decided that was not the right timing for me. So mm-hmm. I kept staying at um, PNG at that time and then decided in 2014. So I had already been at PNG about seven years. Well, actually I decided in 2012. So I had been at PNG for five years that I wanted to go back and really pursue this anthropology thing. I had heard that there was a program, which is the UNT program that enabled you to 
do a master's uh, within anthropology as opposed to just a PhD. And therefore, I was able to do both work and that program at the same time. And then I graduated in 2014 and started and started Artifact, which um, I can talk more about if you want. Yeah, cool. So um, you, you know, in a previous conversation we had about probably 14 months ago in New York, you yeah. were talking about how you were at PNG, you were involved in some of the market research. And so, you know, how, what role did that maybe play in also sort of lighting this interest? Exactly. So it was interesting because I started, there's a, there's a strong intersection, you know, between market research and anthropology. It's qualitative and quantitative research. Uh, just anthropology or market research can house anthropology or anthropological thinking and, or it can house other things too. And so I was already just in that, that was the function I was in at PNG. But it just kind of, that's just really a coincidence. Like it kind of worked. I already had this uh, interest in anthropology. And then I ended up going into market this market research function because I was just interested in people and learning about people. Um, and so when I decided to go to UNT and, and get this master's, it, it made just all the sense because I was able to directly, like in the moment, you remember, like even probably from like some of the, my case studies and stuff I was doing for our homework assignments, like I was able to in the moment apply what we were learning to my job, which was really, really cool. And it instantly gave me credibility. So where, you know, I was there and it was like, oh, she's she's getting her master's in anthropology. OK, great. Like internally at PNG, I was elevated, even though I was still like a student in school. So there was definitely like, I don't know, they kind of like worked Together, the market research helped the anthropology. Anthropology helped the market research um, in terms of um, where I'm at today and how you know how I got into each one of them. I, but um, yeah, it was something that definitely worked. Those two things worked well together. And so, you know, when you entered the program at UNT okay. at University of North Texas, you entered the business track. I mean, we don't really, def we don't pick the track per se, but we pick the classes and, you know, in a sense, the classes align with that track. So we both picked business. And um, were you thinking you would stay at P&G long-term and you would just use the skills there or were you already thinking about starting your own business? Yeah, I was already thinking about it. So I, it was a little bit of both. And I knew that I wanted to apply the anthropological thinking to my day-to-day -day work. I knew it was going to show up as a value add in, in that current situation at PNG. However, one of the things that even sparked me to go back and, and go, go back to school at that time was I felt this calling to start my own business. And so this was like a prerequisite, if you will, to that, because I felt like I needed some credibility. And P don't get it twisted. PNG is in, in some worlds, enough cred credibility in and of itself. Obviously, it comes with um, everyone. My 97-year-old grandmother, like, knows PNG as well as, like, a 10-year-old sometimes. But probably so, not anthropology I mean, so well. Uh-huh. But probably not anthropology as much. Exactly. That's exactly right. So that came with its own credibility. But in certain areas, and I can talk about this a little bit later, you know, anthropology gave me a little extra credibility. And, and when I say credibility, almost like it differentiated me versus all the other traditional market researchers out there for sure. And so that was a big 
going into the business anthropology or the applied anthropology route, for sure, the long-term um, use for it was to start my own company. Great. And so there, you know, you threw out the term business anthropology and, um, you know, obviously that's sort of the focus as I'm framing out this podcast, but can you tell me what is business anthropology to you? Yeah. So it's applying anthropological thinking in corporate America for me. So, you know, in, there's all kinds of businesses and maybe, you know, it could be things outside of maybe it's nonprofits or what, what have you, mm-hmm. but in the most kind of rudimentary, like pragmatic sense, it's saying there are these principles or this way of thinking. And I want to apply those in the business or the corporate world in order to, as a different way to help that business grow. So everything is about dollars and cents. All companies want to grow. I don't care what they can have all this great. Oh, I want to help out society, but The ultimate thing is to make more money. And so how do you position anthropology and what you can bring to the table, what that thinking can bring to the table as a new way, a differentiated way to drive growth, to help them understand their consumers, to help, you know, um, guide maybe their their mission or their vision. Like there could be a, a few ways that this is applied product innovation kind of things. Right. And so maybe that's a good jumping off point. Why don't you tell us what you do at Artifact and, and how you're applying it? Yeah. So Artifact is the name of my company. And it's, first of all, let me talk about the, how we came up with that name. Cause it's important. Uh, it really has two meanings. So we really are obviously playing off. We spell Artifact with a Y instead of the I. So it's A-R-T-Y-F-A-C-T. Um, we want it to play off the word the artifact because an artifact is obviously anything, any object that has meaning in a society. And so artifacts, that word or that concept comes up a lot um, in our field and what we do. A. Mm-hmm. B, there's the two words art and fact in there. And so there's that's when you hear people say the art and the science of things, that is the kind of the through line in everything we do as well. So from designing our studies to the actual research, to the analysis on the back end and the deliverable, we are making sure the art is there. So it could be like literal art, like the design of things, right? Or design thinking or intuition is in it, but also the science. So there's rigor and um, analytical thinking behind every single thing we do as well. So that's um, kind of the basis behind anthropology, but we, we call ourselves an anthropology-based market research consultancy. All that means is that we prioritize two things. One, we prioritize human understanding is what we call it. So we want to make sure the voice of the consumer or your user or your customer is loud and prevalent from beginning to end. Okay. So they're first, number one, the product isn't first, the consumer is first. The second way that that comes through is how we do research. We like to do it in context, right? So everything about anthropology is, is saying that the cultural environment around you dictates your behavior. Okay. So the fact that you and I, and I'm just more so saying that I know you know this, but I'm saying this for your audience. You and I are sitting, you know, virtually talking, you know, to each other, we're going to behave 
slightly differently than if the same conversation was happening when we saw each other 14 months ago uh, over coffee, being able to like really see each other, like, you know what I'm saying? Like face to face, all those things. So we try to set up those in context. Well, pre COVID, we try to set up those in context environments so that, you know, most people think of things like in homes, right? That's in context. We want to make sure we're doing all of our qualitatives in a place that makes sense for whatever the, the business question is, or what are we trying to learn? You know, making sure it's in context and making sense that way. So those are two ways that like how that shows up in our business. And um, I will say this, I'm going to give a sneak peek to something I'm going to say later, which is I've gotten nothing but positive reactions and positive um, sentiments with the fact that we are anthropology based market research firm that has never, ever once been a negative or like, wait, what exactly is that? Even if people don't know the ins and outs of it, they act like they do. And so it, it's still seen, it's seen as fresh. It's seen as differentiated. It's seen as um, value added. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and one of the things that I think, you know, that uh, like in the recent meetup that we were both you know, attending, you know, right. It came up there and um, something we talk about here in New York pretty frequently. So I want to dig into that in just a second, but just to go back, you know, the name is really interesting. I mean, I really love the way you, you, you frame that out and put it all together. Um, of course, you know, when we come up with creative names like that and, you know, I've experienced this in my own, with my own naming conventions, sometimes people don't quite grasp it all. Right. I mean, I didn't necessarily pick up on all of that until you told me. So when it comes to, you know, everything from the naming of, of artifact to how you position your services. Do you, and I, and I know you just said that, you know, people are interested in the anthropological sense of it, but do you mm-hmm. find that there are any challenges in selling it or is it just, yeah, this is cool. We want, we want some of that. Yeah. Good question. So the most simplest of challenges is that people call it artifact. <laughs> so, so that's just, one very simple thing, but you know, after the first meeting, we, mm-hmm. we call it what, it, how we pronounce it, how it should be pronounced. And then people pick up pretty quickly. So that's like a small, small thing. Um, the other thing is with the name and everything I just spelled out to you, we don't leave that up to guesswork. So if you go to our website, we, the whole thing I was saying about art and fact, and what we spell that out as a way to like, to tell people that there is intention behind the name, but also that the name tells people who we are and what we do a bit. Right. So, you know, we don't leave that to chance. I think any challenge has been, I mean, we have all kind of business challenges, but challenges with, from an anthropology standpoint are just, Hey, so sometimes we like to, and I'm going to get into the methodologies a little bit, but we will talk about like participant observation or um, something. I don't know if I think I took this, this might be an anthropology thing or I morphed it from that. Sometimes I get confused because it's been some years since we were in school, Matt, but um, we call analogous learning. So learning from other learning about your business problem and solution by other industries and categories that have already solved that problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. What I have found is that some companies, some clients 
they are more than happy to, oh yeah, some, some qual, some in-homes, like they get in-homes, they get in-store immersions, they get quantitative um, surveys. When we start to get into some of the, oh, let's do participant observation, even though participant observation is like pretty much a glorified in-home with some other things in it. Like sometimes when we use these other words and, and names that they're not as familiar with, they kind of, their eyes glaze over a bit and mm-hmm. they focus more on the things that they're used to and not necessarily the things that, you know, they're not as familiar with. Right. Mm-hmm. And so things that we want to say are differentiated or things that are like, Oh, let's do this cool thing. That's not, sometimes that's not the selling point to them. And I think we have to be okay with that. Um, it's like in its simplest form, just the word anthropology is enough. And I know that sounds crazy. And, you know, sometimes I can be a purist, um, but that's not always necessary or valued. Um, Mm -hmm. You you can bring the thinking in behind the scenes, but they don't always need to know what the name of the methodology is called. If it's something that's very, very specific to our field. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can certainly just end up talking past each each other at that point and, you know, learning the language of of our clients or stakeholders. Exactly. Right. It's kind of part of our job. So makes sense to me. Is there one thing that particularly that stands out that helps you, you know, sort of sell the value besides just the word anthropology? Is there anything that you found, you know, within the market research space that's really important? Mm-hmm. So we have this um, slide where we talk about what we do and it's four big buckets. And so we, I have found that when we, two things, one, if we talk about ourselves at the at a higher level of what we can do, people are energized by the fact that we can answer these bigger questions. So it's not just like evaluative in nature, like they are excited about the, uh, we can help you come up with a new business model if, if the, if within a changing landscape, right? They want to, they want to hear those, uh, those kind of things like that is, that looks like value add, that looks like help. Uh, another one is we help you with white space opportunities for your, um, for a, a target, you know, for your target consumer, right? It's like, Oh yeah, I need, I need those kind of things. So, <laughs> so those are ways that we, besides just using the word anthropology, these are, you know, bigger questions that we can answer that, um, that they found find valuable. I think the second thing is maybe counter to what some people think we don't try to be everything to everybody. So yes, we are a full service market research agency and we can do it all, but we are very clear to talk about our buckets. And so if you think about research, it's discovery and evaluation at its core, right? It's like some type of exploration and discovery. And that's usually upstream in the front on the, on the beginning of things, or I already, now I have my product, I have my message, I have my concept, and I want to evaluate it. What we say from a high level is, hey, we work best in the, in our, our skills are best and how we think work best within the discovery, um, exploratory realm. That's one thing that we are like very, very clear on. The second thing is that we say, we want to help with, in general, those bigger questions and not necessarily like smaller, minute things. Like, I don't know that that's a, as great of a use of our time and your money. 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's interesting. And so when you're that um, sort of upfront about that, how how does everybody respond to that? Because I'm sure some just want to hire you for everything. Right. And so here's where I give you a real moment. Everyone, y'all ready for the realness that I'm about to give you? I am a business owner. I am not in a, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not in a position to turn down work. Right. And so it is a balance. It really is a balance of saying, okay, here's my warehouse. Here's where we work best in, but also if you have, if you want to do a quantitative survey on something, we can still do that for you. But how we do it is we still try to bring the thinking into the way we think into their, um, into what their request is. Right. So we try to marry up, marry up the two things. So it's like, Hey, I want you to, you know, I only want you to do quant kill me now. Um, cause we would rather do qualitative or if I'm going to do quant, I'd rather do the whole, a mixed method approach, right. Where I'm doing quant and qual for this project. It's like, Oh, I only want you to do quant. Okay. So the way I get around that is, and this is like an internal thing. I say, um, what type of quant, what are you, what is your end goal? Oh, you're doing quant to better understand and find your target consumer and do more like a segmentation. Okay. Well I can get that's back to people. I can get behind you trying to find um, your target audience. And so then I'm still bringing in my thinking in the survey design, um, how I'm some of the pre like stakeholder interviews I'm doing with clients, right. I'm still bringing that in. Um, and that helps me feel better. And also, you know, they still feel like they're getting some value out of, of going with someone like an artifact versus more, a more super traditional market research firm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, it can, and it can certainly help, you know, guide the survey instrument design and, so, absolutely, absolutely. you know, in there, you made the, the comment about being a business owner and any of us who have been in that position know what it's like to not only want to pay ourselves, but also have to pay other people and, and all the expenses. So um, I'd be curious maybe to hear, you know, what does your day just look like? You know, some people who might be listening to this might be thinking of starting their own business. Some others might be thinking of going to work for somebody, but, uh, you know, as somebody who owns their own business, you have a lot of unique challenges that is not simply just doing research, planning research and analyzing, right? Um, but obviously, you know, building your business, building your brand, marketing yourself, you know, finance, right? There's a whole slew of, right? All the sort of business functions are up to you and presumably your co-founder or some team that you delegate them to. So just what does that look like for you? Yeah, great question and also very relevant because I was dealing with that slash struggling with that earlier um, today because there are almost two different paths and two different things that my brain has to toggle between throughout a day, throughout a week, throughout a month. Right. And what those two things are is yes, owning and operating a business. Right. So that is all the things you just mentioned, the finances, the operations, um, NDAs, uh, new strategy, pipeline, hiring people, all of that. Right. Then separately, there's the actual work that my business does, right? So the actual day-to-day, like I have I have a client, they have a project, and I have to moderate these focus groups or these one-on-ones, or I have to do those, whatever. I have found that it's why I say I'm toggling is because you have to do both, 
right? So you, what the being a business owner is really about is now I'm trying to grow my own business, right? So I am, I, all the things about marketing, whatever that is to grow my business. Then the other part of what I do is to help someone else grow their business in a way. Right. Um, and so the projects, the client based things, sometimes those take priority because they have, they have more urgency behind them. Mm-hmm. Right. They have due dates and such. But if you don't work on the first thing, right, the business, then all of a sudden that project's over and you don't have anything else in the pipeline. So what what I challenge people to do is really take a step back and evaluate. First of all, evaluate what do you like? So the thing and I just have to be real because, you know, me at this point, Matt, like I am a very transparent and real person. I go back and forth on which one do I like more? Honestly, um, do I sometimes I don't like. Don't don't tell nobody. Sometimes I really like the business owner side of things, the strategy, the thinking, filling up the pipeline. And I don't really feel like moderating some groups and in a in a potential client telling me what the heck to do today. That's why I got out of someone working for somebody, right? Sometimes I don't like that. And then other times I'm super energized and jazzed by the research side of things. And I'm like, oh gosh, I gotta do whatever on the business side. So the first thing is like really taking a step back and seeing what elements and parts I call it give you energy, right? So when you think about doing this thing or you're actually doing it, where are you getting um, your energy from? The second thing I challenge people to do is making make sure that they allot the appropriate time and there is balance in their day or balance in their week, however they best want to do it. So it could be, okay, there's five days in a, in a work week on Mondays and Thursdays, I'm going to really focus on the business ownership side of things. On these other days, I want to do the projects or it could be within, I know some people do it by the day. So I'm going to get up early and from seven to 10, that is my time to focus on the business stuff. And then after that, 10 to whatever the end of the day, I'm going to work on the research, the actual thing that my company does. Right. So there definitely is like, it's a, you it's a lot, but those are the two things I would do. Think about what gives you energy. And the second thing is a lot, the appropriate time to do, to do both. Cause you really, that's the name of the game. You can want, they both have to be done. Yeah. Have to get done. Especially when you have yeah. payroll. <laughs> People got to be paid. Yes. And not in on time. You can't, that's not a deadline that you can push. Um, so in there, you mentioned, you know, the pipeline. So obviously that's an ongoing need for you. Mm-hmm. But it's for anybody who wants to start a business, like the first customer is also, you know, getting that first customer in the pipeline is oftentimes very challenging. Keeping it going is maybe equally challenging. Um, but at least getting that first one is sometimes a, a big hurdle. And so, you know, obviously you've done that and you've kept it going. So any any thoughts there on what others should maybe consider if they're thinking of starting their own business? Yeah. So mine is kind of, a hundred percent based on my experience. So I'm not saying that this is what's going to be the, the, you know, the, whatever they call the bullet. There's a saying, whatever the silver bullet. So thank you. I'm like, there is a saying for this, the silver bullet for everyone. But most of our clients come from referrals slash word of mouth. And so number one, one thing I would say to do is when you either quit your full-time job or transition into, um, your, um, your new, your business, send an email out, send a text out to your friends and family. Cause even if they don't know, it's like, 
my friends and family don't really know about research. They're not going to need me. It's not about them needing you. It's that they will have a conversation with somebody else. And that person will say, oh, yeah, so I've been like, I really don't know who my consumer is or I really need to, you know, I'm a startup and I'm trying to find seed money and I need to do a market assessment. Right. Something like, you know, things like that that come up. Now that person can be like, oh, actually my niece or my friend or my old colleague, right? So be intentional. First of all, be intentional about creating a small email or a text that has, that describes what you do and what your business does in simple language, everyday people language, don't use all the jargon, everyday people language so that you are, you're, you're broadening, broadening your reach. Okay. That's the, that's the first thing uh, that helped us because we definitely are on a, we've gotten a lot of referrals. That's great. From our business. The second thing is we also subcontract. And so some of our earlier projects were subcontracting projects from us partnering with other, we'll call it friends in the business, other research agencies, what have you. Right now it's about, there's a lot of these like smaller, what we call boutique firms and, and, and people doing things like this is the, the era of entrepreneurs. So there's, there's people out there doing it. There's no reason why we all have to be in silos doing it separately and what have you all ships rise if we can kind of come together. And so the other thing is just think about subcontracting opportunities where it's like, Oh, I know this person is, they have their own uh, research agency or own whatever, you know, business you're trying to get into. I know they have this. I want to just tell them about what I, you know, what I can provide and, and if they have work that comes up and they need a certain expertise or they need resource from a, they need, a, you know, another man, another man or woman on the job, they know about me. And now I can kind of get in the door that way. Uh, because subcontracting, while sometimes not as you don't have as much control, A, and sometimes not get paid as much, you also don't have to do all the like client management. You don't have to do all the work of having to find that client, right? Like some of that stuff is done for you. And so that's the other piece. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, now in there, you mentioned um, sort of at the outset of that answer, you mentioned plain language, which is more or less the second time you brought that up. You brought it up also earlier, sort of when like sort of pitching yourself to customers. And so, you know, related to that, it might be um, you know, a topic that frequently comes up is you know, using theory, you know, to sort of guide our recommendations and to help frame out our insights and whether or not, you know, that theory is sort of made visible to anybody else. So, you know, obviously there's varying arguments maybe around this and there are, um, I would assume that it's very much dependent, or at least in experience, it's very dependent on who you're talking to, right? So do you kind of take the same approach, you know, if uh, plain language when you think maybe the that's all the customer wants, or, you know, are you also in the sense of artifact and trying to bring in the rigor? Are you also trying to sort of demonstrate the theory you're using to frame out your insights? Yeah. Very good question, because we've um, morphed over time. So at the bare beginning, when we were forming Artifact, creating our proposition, trying to get our first client or two, right? Trying to get those first one and, and doing proposals. 
I, as an anthropo- as the anthropologist, right on on uh, as part of artifact, I was trying to bring in the theory, at least in the behind the scenes thinking, and and also kind of I was even putting it on a couple slides, like using that to help justify certain things we were recommending um, as part of the proposal, right? And mm-hmm. my co-founder was you know high fiving that and wanted me to do that. We were both kind of on that page. I will say practically the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. So I don't know if you've heard that saying before, but like the return on that investment just wasn't there because when you are, they just, some of these business in corporate America, just transparently, they just don't care. And it wasn't helping to get, get a client or not get a client. Now, some of my academic advisors and teachers would be like, what, just do it anyway. And, you know, but I, this is where it comes back, back to business anthropology and applying the parts that work and the things that don't work or maybe go over people's heads or whatever. You have to really take a step back and evaluate for yourself. Okay. Where do I really need to be a purist here? And where can I just make sure I feel good about what we're doing. Um, but also make sure I'm not putting all this work into, okay, this is the, this is the theoretical perspective we're using here and helping to justify this. And they're just, that's going over people's heads. They're, it's not helping me get up, make more money and get a project. Right. So we have definitely morphed over time. Um, so to the point where now I think we're using more high level concepts around, um, within this field and not as much, very specific theoretical perspectives. Like I, when I was writing my thesis, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is on organizational behavior and I'm do, using these methodologies because and it is connected to this theoretical perspective. I'm, we're not, I'm not doing that just transparently. Yeah. You know, and you? I, 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 know um, about- no, I mean, most people, I, I agree. Most people don't care. I mean, I am thinking through those, you know, those lenses to help me sort of make sense of stuff on the back end, but I am mm-hmm. rarely making it present to anybody else. You know, if it's a, close customer or some of the internal projects, you know, when like we're building our own products at our company. Um, I find that there's more opportunity to have those kind of conversations just because, you know, we have a relationship. We've known each other for years, you know, we're just sort of talking. It's not yeah. like I'm in a, I'm not presenting a deck in, you know, in a very short period of time in front of people who have a short attention span because they have other things to do. Right. So, right. um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to the who, you, you know, what the relationship is and even the situation that you're in, but generally no, um, you know, and, and related to that, one of the other things that frequently comes up is, you know, the pace of research, right? And so, you know, I think you're, uh, you and I are, are in a position that many anthropologists are, and like many have gone straight through with an anthropology degree that are then figuring out, well, how can I apply this? They go into business. We were working in business in various fields and decided to go back. And so, you know, where I'm going with this is, is for me to move fast was not shocking at all, right? It was, that was my normal pace. Academia was too long as it was, you know, in many, <laughs> many ways, right? And, um, and I assume, you know, given your market research experience at PNG, maybe you, you, maybe you felt the same way, but do you, um, you know, for those people who maybe are shocked by the pace at which we move 
you know, do you have any thoughts on that of like why it's worth moving at this pace? Or if you were shocked by that, you know, after doing an academic thesis, like if, if now back at an artifact, you're now sort of shocked that we're doing it so much quicker. Yes. Any observations there? Any thoughts? Yeah. So with, so yes, first of all, we were, I was also, yes, very used to the pace of things going fast. We're not trying, we can't do end up, I can't, stay with a certain group of people in a village for months and, and, and really do in-depth research. That's actually what I want to do long-term. Like I actually want to be more of a pure anthropologist long-term. So after the artifact days um, go in and kind of almost be like a freelance researcher where I have these passion projects and I'm able to like focus on them for a couple months on end. Right. That I, I do think okay. there's a lot. I want to, yeah, I want to like give a nod to the fact that there is a lot of value in that. Um, there's a need, all of those things. However, the way that I think about it and what I can tell other people is if in any way you can get people to do, to, to do better research or to be a better researcher or to value and understand the the lived experience of somebody else a little bit more. Yes. Okay. It may not be all pure and whatever, and we may not be able to spend, but if you can help a client be a better researcher, do better research or better understand the lived experience of somebody else, even a little bit, then that's, then that's all worth it. So, okay. Yes. I might be doing, all this research, I'm doing, you know, five focus groups in a week. And literally the, the research period of this project is within these five days versus five weeks or for five months or five years. Right. Okay. Yes. But I gave this client, you know, thinking like we started with a, Hey, here's a little bit about how you want to approach this research. We always start there, by the way. We start with what we call a pre-brief. So instead of the opposite of a debrief, a pre-brief. Before we go into any research, we we do like a mini training and it's a little bit of like, here's how we want to approach things. Here how, here's how we want to talk to people. Here's how we want to show up. All those things that like I leverage from our field anthropology. So I definitely, it's like I'm doing my part even though it may not be as, as pure. And so that's what I would encourage other people to think about it in that way of like making small changes here and there. Yeah. I hear you. I actually, I say almost the same thing, but I, you know, I'm obviously working in tech. I'm often kind of saying something along the lines of, you know, if we can find, identify like sort of 80% of the problems and improve it, you know, in the next iteration, we'll work on sort of the remaining percentage, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, the, the projects rarely end after one research engagement. So, um, so, but I also like your idea of the sort of in the future, long-term, that, that is a, a nice, um, you know, definitely a nice goal to have, because I would agree with you that, you know, it's uh, that kind of research is great. You know, if you're afforded the ability to do it, but for many of us having to just live the life we live in business and, and you know, put food on the table, pay other people, all that kind of stuff, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't always work out that way, unfortunately, but. Right. You know, but so I want to say one more quick thing on that because you missed mm-hmm. maybe there is though some there's an instant gratification a bit that comes with having these shorter, more iterative research mm-hmm. spurts and getting to some type of you know 
result or solution that they wouldn't have otherwise have gotten to. So we're getting to a deeper place um, or a new place than they would have gotten to if maybe they were doing a little bit more traditional research or using traditional thinking. Like, I do think that there is something to that as well, where it's like, wow, we, we got to these new product ideas and I don't know that we would have, we would have gotten there otherwise. Um, so there is like this, a little bit more of an instant gratification in what we do. Yeah. And really for both parties, right? If, I mean, if you like solving problems, it's great as a researcher, but also they get the value of, of getting those sort of insights dripped along the way, exactly. which is really great. Um, so, you know, you as a business owner, you have a lot of, you know, as somebody who studied business anthropology, you have a lot of opportunity to apply, you know, what you learned to your own organization, right? You took, uh, I think you were in the design course, right? At UNT. Did you take that one with Christina? Yes, I did. Sorry. Right. <laughs> and there's, yeah, there's organizational and right. There's, there's yeah, all this sort of, exactly. yeah. so you've, yeah. you've touched a couple different areas just through the academic yeah. process and, and obviously your work experience covers a number, but, um, so how has all of that also helped you start the business? You know, there's just things, right. We can apply to not just our customers, but ourselves. So anything interesting that you've learned from that process? Yeah, that's actually, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think first of all, just as a researcher, so forget anthropologists, but just as a researcher in general, you end up doing, you use research for your own self. So it's like, yeah, what is, what is, who is my target audience or what is my, who is my customer, right? I'm asking the same questions I ask my clients. I'm, I do go inward and ask um, myself. My thesis was on um, organizational behavior, right? So all about helping organizations may almost do like a culture shift. So they are operating as one way and how do we uh, help drive a shift to be operating in this new way and then freeze or solidify those new, those new behaviors. I will say that one of the things that while I haven't been able to use it as directly because we don't have, we, we work with independent contractors right now. We're not working with like, um, full-time like hires like every day that I'm interacting with. But one of the things that I am excited about, and I think that one of the things that can be used is what are the types, how do I, how do I want to show up as a company? How do I want my contractors or, or eventually employees to show up? So what cultural environment are me and my founder creating and facilitating and showing right? Through our actions, behaviors, our language, what are we showing? And then how can we help bring other people into that environment, you know, we're trying to create and show and set that tone. I think that's really important for small businesses um, because at the very beginning, your company and you are almost synonymous. So it's like, I'm hiring Brooke for this. Really? Well, you're hiring Artifact, Um, right? But as we bring more people on, it's important that they really do feel like they're hiring artifact, but they're getting the same qualities that they love from Brooke or from my co-founder, Melanie. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we use it or and anticipate using it, which is helping to like hone um, that cultural environment and, yeah. and behavior, uh, organizational behavior. Cool. And um, yeah, I heard somebody once say, and 
sadly, I, I don't remember who it was at the moment, but like in your case with Artifact, right? So two co-founders. So you're each sort of like 50% of the culture. But with your first hire, now you're sort of 33%, right? And with each hire, you sort of, in some sense, right? Each person, I think what you know, they're trying to say is with each person, like they're changing it, they're shifting it. Um, and of course, you know, it's helpful to sort of have some values and guiding principles that, that may help keep it on the rails. But, you know, also to that end, each hire is really important because they changed the culture. And so, you know, even keeping that in mind and how we bring sort of, you know, the understanding of organizational to the hiring practices is interesting. Absolutely. You know, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. So hopefully this person won't see this, but (laughs) I want this to get out broadly back, but (laughs) just not to just want to. It's your your platform. Go for it. Thank you. So, um, even just today we were, we were um, talking slash we were interviewing someone essentially an informal interview um, as to be a, another independent contractor that we bring on. And I will say that it's, it's exactly what you're saying. The, when we got off the phone with this person, me and Melanie, my co-founder, we had a discussion around, wow, this person has is extremely competent, on paper, they have all the things that we would need and maybe even overqualified, maybe in some areas. But we were like those soft skills and those soft things, the personality, the life um, that really think about me and my personality. Right. Like that is that translates through artifact and what we and what we do where me and Melanie are personable. And we we need to be personable because there's a direct correlation between, hey, we want to talk to consumers and and all of that, we, we need to be what we're going to do in the field, right? Like, that's how we need to show up. And this person that we talked to just, we just didn't think it would be a good fit from a, from a cultural standpoint, right? A good fit from those soft skills, how are they showing up? Like, this person didn't laugh at all this whole, the whole time we were talking to them. And it was just like, yeah, there was a, just a little bit, it was just, this person was very rigid and not kind of free. And that's just not how we work. And so absolutely. And almost when I think about um, the ideal in these situations, how does those, how did that, how does that thing work? Well, I always think about Chick-fil-A and people can say what they want to say. I know Chick-fil-A from a political standpoint, there's all kind of things, but Chick-fil-A, no matter where you're at, those people are nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like these little, these from the 15 year olds that are working there all the way up to the whoever in every single part in every single geography, they show up the same. So somehow they have found a way that as they bring new people in, they've been able to kind of like indoctrinate them, not in a cult kind of way, more in like a, these are our guiding principles and they've gotten people to, drink the Kool-Aid, but once again, not in a cold way. And that's a good example though. And um, <laughs> so, you know, to, to maybe pivot from that a little bit, um, one of the things I want to do here is always, and you've already done this a little bit, but is sort of you know, help others maybe figure out how to get to this point. And obviously you provide a lot of great examples mm-hmm. already, very practical examples of, about starting a business. Uh, but one of the last, you know, you mentioned one of the key things that always comes up here in New York and our meetups and everywhere, every, everybody's always asking this is like, how do you sell your findings? Like, what do you do? And so, 
you know, the more practical you can be or the more tangible, like the, the more concrete, go for it. But I'd love to hear just like you know, how you do it. And maybe first, as a precursor to that, you mentioned like the pre-brief. So are you setting up any of that, you know, in the sort of quote unquote training of the pre-brief of what they should expect? Yeah. Okay. So two questions in one. Um, the, 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 the pre-brief part was the second part. The first part was how do we sell? Yeah. Your findings, so ultimately the, your insights, uh, even our recommendations. Our findings. And when you say sell, uh, just a clarifying question before I answer you. Do you mean how do I ensure that they're received in the right way? Or do you literally mean how do I package this and, and sell this? Yeah. So um, probably certainly how do you communicate it, right? Mm-hmm. How, and ideally, have you learned anything through that process? You know, like, have yeah. you tried to do it one way, maybe in the beginning and it wasn't working so well and have you pivoted and now you're doing something else? What, mm-hmm. I guess, what resonates the most with your yeah. stakeholders so that they see the value of what you've learned and hopefully then embody that to make a change? Yep, exactly. So I'll talk about the pre-brief first and then I'll talk about the other getting to the findings because the pre-brief happens in the beginning and then the findings are at the end. So I'll do it like in sequential sure. order. So one of the things I mentioned, yes, is that we do a uh, what we call a pre-brief. I don't know that other people do that or not, but we we that's almost part of the initial. So once we do our our pitch, our proposal, and they say, "Hey, yes, we're doing this project," that's in the timeline of like you know it could be some people would just simplify that to say a kickoff meeting, but no, when when we are doing field work, the day before field work starts, we are having. A it could be anywhere from two to four hour mini training. We're talking to them about we're we're getting them we're we're reminding them of who we're going to be talking to and how long whatever right. There's some logistics, but there's literally like a training portion, and I think that has come. You know, there might be hesitation when they're like pre brief. I don't really know what that is. Is there a need for that or whatever? But universally, once it's done. People are laughing and joking. They're having a great time. Like it, it also serves to create a rapport with you and the client before you're going into the field, making sure we're all on the same page, making sure you don't have a crazy, you know, person, the marketing person ain't going to go rogue and start talking about whatever. Like it, it gets everybody on the same page. We all, we always have like, we'll make it sometimes a happy hour, right? We want to, we want to set the tone. So mm-hmm. We could have beer and wine there, a charcuterie board, right? Like we're really setting the stage and we're making this appetizing, right? That's, it's part of it, but it, it, it differentiates us. So we give them little goodie bags uh, for the, for the field work. So it's like, here's some tools that you're going to need for the field, right? All those things are creating some differentiation for artifact, but at the same time it's needed. And so we need to, we're packaging up something that's needed Um in a way that's fun and entertaining, et cetera. Fast forward, the things that have been helpful on the back end, like, okay, sharing our results or people find value or what, what have you. We have started to do two things that we weren't necessarily always doing. We sometimes were stopping our project in terms of the proposal. We were stopping it at, we've done the field work. We've gotten the, um, we synthesized the data. We've 
figured out what the meaning is. We've gotten to themes and then we are going to share that back out, right? With the team and that sort of thing. And sometimes things stopped at that presentation where we've noticed clients find value. Additional value is in having a workshop mm-hmm. after that, that workshop enables them. We'll share, we'll share the findings as the kickoff to that workshop. So the, the findings from the field work, but then we also then literally start creating. So we are immediately actioning what we learned from the field. And now we are really coming across as partners, right? To these clients and like, Hey, we're not letting you, we're not just throwing you off to the wind. We're going to help guide you through um, this almost creation process for whatever they're trying to, whatever they're trying to get to. The second thing um, we have, I was going to talk about three things, actually. I forget the second one right this moment. It'll come back to me. But the other thing we're trying to do in general and don't steal people, do not steal our idea. (laughs) But projects are um, very big and detailed, right? There's a lot of different aspects of one project. So I am mining existing data. I'm creating the discussion guide. I'm actually doing the field work. I'm doing the analysis. I'm creating, oh, I just thought about my second thing. That's good. Um, I'm creating, uh, I'm doing the analysis. I'm creating a deck and then I'm sharing that out. And then maybe I'm doing a workshop, right? What we've started to think about is how do we sell individual pieces instead of selling the whole for certain clients. So for the bigger ones, yeah, they need the whole project and they have that. We've noticed that for other clients, this is the part I'm not going to share because it's proprietary. I don't want people still on my idea, but there's a certain target audience that would benefit from just the pieces being sold to them. So they just need a discussion guide, right? They can talk to the people themselves. They just don't know what questions to ask and how to ask them or they just need someone to actually tell them how to find people. Like there's, there's, there's um, easy ways. There's backdoor ways of recruiting. That isn't like I'm, I'm formally recruiting. Like you can talk to people around you and in your network that fits some criteria. Right. So those are the, the we're trying to break down individual pieces. The yeah. third thing that we sell, sorry, cause I remember I, I, mm-hmm. I remembered it was people call it like, storytelling or bringing insights to life, right? You hear all this like business darken, but essentially we have found a lot of success with, we, you know, we always uh, video record our interviews. And so package, we'll use literally use iMovie and start to splice together um, snippets from, you know, the, the field work together to, to let the consumer tell the story. So almost, we don't have to talk at all the, you know, well, we, we find the themes ahead of time and then we find these clips and we put them together and then it happens. It's almost like a, a video reel. The consumers are telling that story for us. And we have found that that has created a lot of value. Now, caveat, that's a lot of work yeah. sometimes. So maybe you out, maybe that's outsourced, but, but it's value added for sure. Yeah. No, very cool idea to, to hear it in their own words. Is I'm sure very powerful for your, for your, you know, stakeholders. Yeah. Great. And so that, yeah, that was real practical. Thanks. And then I guess, you know, some, maybe the last questions I have along the same theme of sort of sharing with everybody else, you know, do you have maybe any thoughts because we kind of went the opposite way, right? We 
and business went back. So do you have any thoughts on whether people should go straight through to get maybe an anthropology degree or any thoughts on your experience of having worked first and then going back, you know, anything you learned there? Yeah, I'm very biased. And so I'm just putting it out that, and I tell people, not just people who are aspiring to be, you know, anthropologists or getting their master's in that or PhD. I say that for any field in any industry, I think there is something to pausing, getting real world work experience, and then going back and getting whatever it is, your MBA or, you know, your master's in anthropology, your master's in whatever it might be. Here's why. Once again, I'm biased. So I just have to caveat that. But I will say that in my program, and you probably feel the same way, Matt, like all these you got to do discussion boards. You have to like write these papers. You have to do all this stuff. And I had so much more to draw from because I had real world work professional experiences. And so therefore it made my educational journey. I could, I could hone it and more and fine tune it more. Cause it's like, okay, what gaps do I have? What do I already know? And so it's like I could morph it in that way. Um, The second thing is the reason why is I believe that when you have real world work experience, when you decide to go get your master's, it's more in it's or master's or PhD, whatever. It doesn't matter. You you um, you have a better sense of what you're going for. And, you know, you usually you're more intentional about saying this is exactly what I'm trying to get the kind of degree I'm getting and and why and how I'm going to use it. Sometimes when you go straight through, you think your 22 year old self thinks they know what they want to do, but it's not until you sometimes get that work experience and you're like, dang, I don't even like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for real, you think you like something and then you start to do it and you may not. And so now I'm starting, I'm a, got my master's in this thing and I went through and I'm like, mm, I don't even want to do this anymore. So that's the other thing that um, having getting work experience enables. Yeah, and I can yeah you know, I can actually share two uh, two real world examples that back up your two points. So in my case, I got my MBA right. I went straight through. And there wasn't much I could contribute to the program. There wasn't much I could bring in in terms of outside examples. When I went back for the anthropology program, I felt that I had many more to bring. But also, I got my MBA in finance, and I realized I didn't want to work in finance. <laughs> you know, I mean, I kind of did it because you're like, you know, you need to understand basic finance. But I definitely realized that in the process of that MBA, that I did not want to work full time in finance, right? And so, yeah, I, I'm on your side of the argument. For sure. <laughs> yeah, but. Just because, you know, we got to be well-rounded for people who have not have to, but choose to do that for, there's some practical reasons why people choose to do that. Like, oh, I can tack it on and it, it's a three year instead of four years or I don't know, do you can save some time and or save money, do what you do. It's yeah. just that if, if those things aren't a factor, you know, really think about taking a moment, pausing and going to work. Yeah, that's no, great feedback. And so maybe the last, um, question on that theme here is, you know, I, I, you know, in tech, we oftentimes, we would want, you would recommend to somebody that they show up with a portfolio, 
because we're, you know, we're doing research, building products, and it sort of naturally lends itself and it's kind of sort of expected. Not, not saying every company expects a portfolio, but it's common. I'm not sure if it's common in the market research world, like if somebody was going to work in a corporation. Um, and so maybe this is relevant, maybe it's not, but I guess what would you recommend people to do to sort of position themselves to apply for jobs, even if, you know, if they're not saying they're going to start their own company, but if they want to apply for a role, um, you know, we had at UNT, we had our applied projects, which can kind of lend themselves to that. If you pick the right project, you know, if you're pick something that aligns with your goals, but for maybe people who aren't, don't have that opportunity to have an applied project, any thoughts on like what somebody could do if they're in school now, or even recently graduated sort of start to align themselves to apply to a, or some kind of market research role? Yeah. So there are people everywhere looking for help. <laughs> and so if you're currently in the, in a program, right. And you want to position your, you know, you're, a, you're not yet about to graduate, but you're trying to, you're thinking ahead and you're trying to position yourself. Well, I say like, put yourself out there on LinkedIn, like I- I- any networking site, what have you put that at the top. Like I've seen people sp- very specifically put up like seeking some type of position and, and you could say internship, what have you, like something where it's implied that you're not looking for anything full-time or whatever, but you're just trying to get experience. Like the more experience, uh, the better. The, the other thing I don't know. I was like, really, I got a lot of, um, what's that word called? I got a lot of knowledge from reading and from going to like conferences and just being known. Right. So it's like, what they say when you're trying to find a job, like it's not about it's it's as much who, you know, as whatever they say. Mm-hmm. I'm like forgetting all these cliches and sayings today, but if you, <laughs> but definitely I encourage people to, to read literature, get to know the authors. These are regular people, like email authors, right? Like get expand your network. Like maybe they have advice, but then also go to conferences, make your name uh, and face known in this world. Because what I, and I was going to talk about these, I was, I had some advice for people, some additional advice I haven't said, but what I've learned is that um, all this stuff, this is a small world, like this anthropology field. And especially if you're an applied anthropologist, it is a very small world and things definitely come full circle. And so connections now, you don't know like how they may show up later. So the more that you can just be a familiar face and or name, it for sure will help you. I have have numerous examples of that, that it makes no sense. Like I was like, I just got, so can I, can I give to my own horn for a second? Yeah, please. Okay. Anything you so want. I just, got, I just got an award last Friday. Congratulations. My first, <laughs> thank you. Um, I actually got the award from uh, UNT and it was oh, cool. alumni making a difference award. Right. And so I was selected for this and then I, they want me to give this speech at this, nice. at one of the, some the applied anthropology expo that's upcoming in March. And also it came with like a monetary reward. When I got it, I was like, Oh, I didn't even know I I was on people's radar. Like, and I'm exaggerating a bit. Like I, you know, I, 
like back in October, I lectured, I, I, I did like a little talk for one of the anthropology classes at UNT. And then over the years since we've graduated, I've done things here and there. But I also stay top of mind because like I use the alumni, like we have, you know, we have like a little listserv. And so I use that to like try to find people or reach back out. And so that's just a little tidbit of people like, oh, she, oh, she's looking for somebody for X, Y, Z. Oh, she has this company. Like it just kind of keeps me top of mind. I also went to kind of, I also went to conferences early on, even while I was still at PNG. And so that just kept me top of mind. And, and I feel like that is for sure going to help you later as you're trying to find that job. People will be like, once people know, cause I'm actually looking for someone right now, an anthropologist who fits our cultural attitudes and behaviors. Um, and so if I had other people, the person I did talk to was a person that was top of mind for me. But if I had some more of those people, you know, that, that were top of mind, I would very quickly be like, oh yeah, I would hit them up versus them trying to, trying to find me. Yeah, cool. Well, if there's something you want me to post when I do release this, you know, like if there's a link to any kind of job posting, oh, cool. uh, just let me know. Well, so that's great. And did, did you say, well, congratulations again. That's really wonderful. That's it's really cool to hear. Um, Thank you. Did you have, you mentioned that you had some other advice that you read that you didn't mention. You want to share that? Yes. So one thing, so more so this will probably end up just being like a summary since I think I probably throughout this hour talk, I've mentioned splatterings of things here and there. Number one, I would say, I already said like people, the word anthropology right now is sexy and it's probably been sexy for the last few years. And so use that as a tool, use that to at your advantage and don't use it as like a, oh, people don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, people don't understand anthropology. No, like never let that be in your head. It's always a tool. Number one. The second one is to use your, this is really the story I was just saying, really use your alumni network. Make sure you're keeping in touch with your, with your teachers, your, you know, your, your old professors or whatever, mm -hmm. whoever your committee chair was like, make sure they know what you are, what you're doing. If you're a current student and if you've already been in this world, reach back out now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like make sure you, <laughs> make sure you are keeping a strong connection because you invested in this place, right? I mean, and you got something from it, but there's ongoing opportunities. Like they want alumni to do things. So, uh, and they want to uplift, you know, it, it looks good for them if their alumni are out here in the world doing great things. And so they're going to try to promote you in whatever way that they can. Sure. And so make sure you're continue, continuing to keep strong connections um, with those, those, the, the, the program and the actual professors. And then the third thing, and I kind of do this, um, sometimes it just kind of falls in my lap. And then sometimes I do this proactively. So I, I use LinkedIn as a way to, there's not a gazillion anthropologists in the world. So sometimes what I do is do a search. So I'll be like anthropology, Atlanta, right? So it's like someone who's put their, cause I'm, I, I'm in Atlanta, by the way for the audience. And so some people, you know, they'll put their location down, obviously, whatever their hometown is, but then somewhere in the, um, their description, they'll use that word anthropology. And so it'll come up and I'll be like, Oh, there's this anthropologist here in Atlanta. And so I've, I've literally, um, 
some physical things where I've like met up in person with people that I hadn't, I've literally just met them on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. met up for coffee with them. And we like shared war stories. And, you know, sometimes in the moment, nothing comes from that. And then other times that has happened. We didn't meet up in person. We only uh, like had conversation over the phone, but that has led to multiple projects because they were like, Oh, this one particular person. She was like, actually, this is so timely. I'm, getting away from freelance and consulting and moving into a full-time position. And so all my old clients need someone. I'm going to just refer them to you. Okay. That's opportunistic. Right. And so that's the third thing of like reach out. The anthropology community is kind. We're good people. You know, Um, I think there's a certain personality trait that actually makes you want to be in this field. Use that to your advantage. um, And because people want to help out one another. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. That's great. And, um, you know, also you mentioned like conferences and things I would also throw out. And I know you and I talked about this little in New York, but meetups, right? It doesn't have to be like academic conferences, but just local meetups. There's a ton of opportunity. Absolutely. And I have a bias cause I love meetup.com. So plug for that plug for meetup, even though I'm not getting any type of check, <laughs> but, but I, I absolutely agree. In fact, um, there's with COVID, the, one of the positive things about COVID is now that everything has become virtual, it has enabled meetups that were in one location to be way more accessible. So even Matt, you know, the meetup that you do, remember when we, we talked about when we were in New York together 14 months ago or whatever it was, it was very much so like, yeah, so if you happen to be in New York at the next meetup, mm-hmm. like, let me know, you know, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Right. And then maybe like the next month COVID hit. Um but then I was able last month to actually join your meetup because you had it virtually. And that was like, that kind of made my day. I was like super energized after like being on this, on this zoom with all these kind of like-minded people, but in the best, best way. Right. So absolutely thumbs up to meet up. Yeah. Right. And, um, well, for your knowledge, you know, we'll be having another one. I think it should be probably the end of March. Um, oh, so cool. I'll let you know, although it'll be yeah. posted on meetup as well. So cool. Great. Um, well, that's all wonderful stuff. Thanks for sharing all that. I guess last things is, you know, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to let people know where they can find you? Anything you want is fair game. Absolutely. So this is my time. It's like at the end of Hot Ones. When have you guys, have you, there's a show <laughs> on. Some uh, funny references. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, I'm all, this is how my brain works. Um, it's a show on YouTube and they do all this question and answer. And then at the end, they are, they're able to to plug their stuff. So you guys know that I own the company Artifact. And so our website is artifactco.com. So let me spell that for you. It's A-R-T-Y-F-A-C-T-C-O.com. And so that's where you can go and find out more about us. Also at the bottom of that, of the, of the landing page is an area where you can fill out your information. If you want to, if you have a project idea and want to know more um, about how we can partner and help, we are also on Instagram and it's the same thing. Artifact co. So um, it's our handle. And so you can find us there. I would say in general, we no project is too big or small. What we would, what we always do is find the right solution for you. Right. So if you have something a, 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 where it's just a part of a project or you have a whole large project, we're going to find the right solution for you. And we are very hands-on and we want to partner with you. 
So we want to take the load off. That's the whole entire point um, of, of what we do as well. So that is that. Nothing else right now to plug except for look out for me. My name is Brooke <laughs> Brooke Gibbs, award-winning anthropologist. There you go. And co-founder of Artifact. Congratulations again. It's good to see you again. We uh it's, it's nice to sync up once in a while, you know, ever since that first time we went to the rodeo in Fort Worth. <laughs> Which is <laughs> That was the best moment by But what's funny is I actually remember the our dinner before the rodeo, right? I think we had like was it like the beers with the margarita like yeah, think, in it? Yeah, Do you yeah. remember this? Yeah, it was. was. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't remember what that's called, but yeah, that was funny. <laughs> it was it was amazing. And then yes, a rodeo. Very fitting for us to be in Texas. Yeah. Well, Brooke, thanks very much. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. To learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me, where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.